Welcome to the Critical Media Studies Podcast. We're your hosts, Mike Rapici and Barry Falk. Michael, how are you today? Oh, I am. I'm good, Barry. I am good. A little nervous, but I'm good. How are you? I think um, I'm doing well. I think the nerves might be. I'm going to speculate that the nerves might be because what's on deck today um, is Martin Heidegger's essay, The Question Concerning Technology. And we've discussed this before and in another episode that I think is going to drop at the same time as this episode becomes available. Mm -hmm. This episode has a different rationale. Um, In this essay, we're going to talk about the Heidegger essay in in the other podcast, in the other episode, rather. Yeah, we did a a pretty straight analysis uh, and and, and deconstruction of the essay. So I think what we did- And talked about about a lot about context so that if you don't know much about Heidegger or the context of the essay, you might want to listen to that episode. Yeah, the first one was very much, I think, what you would reasonably expect a discussion of uh, the question concerning technology to um, be. Uh, today, we're going to do something different, Barry. Yes. Uh, so we we came back to the essay and uh, with a fresh rereading. And this is not the first time this has happened with me and Heidegger. And I doubt, it, I, I would imagine this is the same. You have the same experience as I do, which is all of a sudden it seemed like a completely different essay. And I, I called very different points from, uh, from the essay than I did previously. So rather than panic over them uh, or, or panic over the state of that state of affairs, we decided to turn our lemons into lemonade and use this as an opportunity because as Heidegger affirms at the end of the essay, questioning is the piety of thought. So in that Heideggerian spirit, we decided to sort of give a fresh take on the question concerning technology essay uh, and have a conversation about it that's gonna drive, here's, it's not a spoiler alert, but just to let you know uh, where we're headed to. We're gonna talk about the essay and what we think now are some key ideas and key problems, key definitions in the essay. But where we're gonna go with a mind toward rather, with a mind toward Talk, doing something we didn't do in the other episode, which is think about Heidegger's relevance for our particular digital media moment. So that's what we're doing here is a, a different kind of trajectory than the previous episode. So we're not going to talk so much about historical context or even about the A-bomb uh, or you know the geopolitical context for, for this essay. Um, but instead sort of extract his ideas about technology because they're, they're pretty interesting, to say the least, interesting and challenging in and of themselves. And we thought uh, they deserve a fresh take and a fresh reading. And then we're, okay, and just to state our purpose one more time, the aim of all this is to more purposely ask the question, what is Heidegger's formulations? Uh, what, what is the question concerning technology? What does it disclose or reveal about our digital media culture? Okay, I mean that's that's probably too much setup. Do you have anything to say before you go on? Or no, I think I think I, well, you know, I'm thinking that 
um, this should be interesting in the sense that I am uh, like you. I've reread it and I've come to I, I think in in going through it, I, too, have made some new connections. But what what stands out as interesting to me is this is mm -hmm. obviously written in a pre-digital time and from a pre-digital perspective. And so mm -hmm. what what always astounds me with this is how versatile his thinking is and how readily applicable it is. And so, you know, my, my two cents coming in is just that obviously he was not talking about the internet, but at the same time, I feel that he absolutely was talking uh, about well, the internet. And that's why we're driving and, to our culmination here. Where yeah. So I, I, I feel like this is, um, you know, how do I want to say this? This is this is a dance I think I know how to do, but I'm not fully prepared to do. So we're gonna see. Uh, we're gonna see how this goes. I love it. I love right. it. So okay. start us start us off, Barry. Starting it off. I was really struck this time by how complex, controversial, certainly provocative, the central claim of the essay is. And I guess maybe better how profoundly counterintuitive it is to common sense understandings of technology. Because, I mean, look what we just did in that discussion thread we just had. We talked about, and we assumed, and I think most of our listeners would make the same assumption with justice, right? Um, with good reasons, that there is, you know, almost an absolute difference between say digital technologies and analog technologies, let alone a comparison between the inventions of the Mayans and the Aztecs and the ancient Greeks and the Egyptians and the, um, the inventions that came out, inventions and um, new modes of production that arose with the industrial revolution, that differences in kind seem to suggest that there, you know, that if we have, they, they, it's logical to conclude that if we're talking about technology, we better admit a lot of discontinuity because there isn't that much in common between these various inventions, discoveries, whatever. Heidegger is, like I said, provocative in saying, you know what, from the very beginning, technology well, the claim is, and he's explicit about this, technology has an essence. Unpacking that idea is what really messed with my head today. Because what that, in essence, what that means is that there is a continuity, a strong continuity that we can discern from the earliest inventions and your and my and everyone's iPhone. That there's something happening. Okay. So I think then the natural question, the natural extension of that is what does that mean? And Heidegger's answer is functional. It's productive. You know, he says technology is a means to an end. That is what the core is. So technology is uh, a way of getting things done. And so you know, you talk about uh, the Mayans and a reflecting pool to see the stars. And so it's a means. But 
you know, as I'm thinking about this through a digital lens, what does this look mm -hmm. like now? Um, I think that this becomes, given the answer that I want to make or that I mm -hmm. want to offer, this becomes a very tricky question. So as I'm thinking about this, I mm -hmm. think that the essence of technology is not just a means to an end, but it is the other. It is something that is inherently not human. The challenge there is that it has become and increasingly becomes the human lens. And so there's a paradox or a contradiction in this, right? Mm -hmm. And for me, I think about in the article he talks, or in the essay, excuse me, he talks about the distinction between uh, older technologies and newer technologies. Mm -hmm. And the distinction is, I think is the, you know, the older technology he, he basically calls uh, handicraft, right? So we commonly yes. come to the hammer for that. Right. Uh, the modern technologies are, uh, it's not sufficient to say that they're not handicraft, but they are complex. They are connected. Uh, they are increasingly efficient. Um, they extend man's ability to do things. And uh, so obviously there's very heavy shades of Alul in, in here. Mm -hmm. um, so to me, I, I think that the, the essence of technology in a modern digital sense, you could make the argument, I'm not saying this is the argument, but you could make the argument that this is that non-human thing through which we humans engage the world around us. And I don't know how fully comfortable I am with that, but everything is technological at this point. You know, the, the notion of the farm and the wheat you know, the natural, which would be outside of the technological is an, is an increasing rarity. And it is something that is almost exclusively accessed through technology. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, even like, I, I don't know, even when I go on a, you know, a bike ride out into the woods or out into, you know, wherever I get there on a bicycle, that's technology. I mean, we, it, it's, it's, it's increasingly rare to try to identify an instance where we can access the natural uh, divorce from technologies. So I, that, that would be my offering. What, uh, how's, how's well, that no, no, I, I, It's It's well, but I, I think, um, and I think that we can proceed to the other point that I, I gained at the fresh reading, because I think you're talking about it. Even though technology, as I read Heidegger, uh, you know, the idea that you mentioned that technology is a means to an end or something that has its sole significance in being a means to an end, of course, this essay really strongly pushes back on that idea. Um, and instead, he, so I guess that's one thing to say. And then the second thing to say, in regard to, I, I mean, that Heidegger is very well aware 
Um, and I and I'm I'm guessing you got your the your this the impetus for the stories you just told. In, you know, from from looking at Heidegger, because he's very well aware of that dynamic, that even though, so that even though he claims there's a consistent essence to technology that makes technology technology, uniquely technology, he's very aware of the differences that you were, in fact, well describing, which is that in the contemporary moment, something has happened so that increasingly the relation between the human and the, and the technological, it's harder to discern. And that even more uh, difficult to discern is the distinction between nature and technologies. But all three of those things, there's something radically different, you know. So this is one of the glories of the essay, but it, it makes it really challenging to think about that on the one hand he makes the audacious claim that technology despite all of its manifestations um, has an essence that we can talk about and describe but at the same time he's very aware of which of exactly what you're pointing out that I need my bike to go out into the field that increasingly that when we talk about farmers we're not talking about farms. We're talking or cultivating the land. We're talking about a means to create an, uh, a food industry, an agricultural food industry. I think he even uses that term. Mm -hmm. So he's aware that there is something, even though he talks about the continual essence, the continuing essence, he's very aware that uh, that something's happened and that the that symbiosis or that relation between humans, nature, and technology, something's out of whack. And, and that is very much driving, that awareness that you're talking about, Michael, is very much driving the essay. Okay, and, and that actually, I think, moves us to um, the second thing I wanted to talk about uh, and that I want you to talk about because this was the, this is the other claim about continuity that Heidegger makes in relation to technology. It's not just that there's a continuous essence to technology, but that technology and technological development always does two things to humans. And so maybe we can unpack this idea. So that throughout history, throughout history, I mean, that's like I said, the big claim for continuity there. And I can imagine historicists just basically, and in fact, I think that is the claim uh, this is the problem that many historicists of various stripes, whether they're historians of science or historians of economics, this is a problem that they, I'm sure they have with Heidegger, which is this idea that, you know, they're more aware of the discontinuities and they want to talk about ruptures within history. And Heidegger is really talking about continuities. And so among the continuities, it's not just the continuity of the essence of technology. There's also this wild claim that every technological, new technological development inframes the world, presents it in a different way, and at the same time reveals something, and this is important to add, the revelation can only happen, not, the revelation is, this is Heidegger's humanism, the rev, humans, the revelation of technology is something that 
only humans can process, that only humans can see, that only humans can meditate on. So maybe we should talk a little bit, see if we can unpack, and this is a task for the afternoon because everybody, you know, this is really kind of the most complex of the essay, part of the essay, but let's see if we can shed light where there's darkness. But what does he mean by the, the inframing and the revealing caused by technology? Yeah, so um, in when, it, when he talks about inframing, I understand this as basically uh, an orienting mechanism, right? Like right. a given technology will orient us or predispose us to act in a certain way in relation to that technology. Um, and then the revealing, and I have, I have some questions for you about the revealing, but uh, the revealing I think is an opportunity out of that in framing in our reaction to it. I think that we, he says that basically what is revealed is Aletheia is truth, right? right. And so we see, I, I guess here, this is a question. Are we then, is what is being revealed, does that say something about our essence or our nature? Um, and I'll give you an example, because wow. you in, in, in the other episode uh, that, that we did on this, which, dear listener, you can skip over to as soon as you'd like. We talked about in framing and you had mentioned an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, where Larry David <laughs> sees a giant knife and says that he just wants to stab as soon as he sees the knife. And so uh, we talked probably a little too long about that in the other episode, so I'll keep this brief. But you can say, okay, I see a knife. It makes me want to use the knife. knife. I want, and what does one do with a knife? Uh, one stabs with a knife. So there's the inframing. Mm-hmm. Is the revealing here, is this saying something about the destructive or violent nature of man as opposed to saying, wow, I want to spread butter on a piece of toast and give it to my neighbor? Um, and I think that you could argue that, well, you know, all people will respond in accordance to the knife, but not all will necessarily respond with the same response to the knife. So you may look at it and say, Mike, I want to put butter on a piece of bread. And I might say, I'm going to join Larry David and join the stabbing range. I'm going to go to the stabbing range with this, right? Both are obviously instances of inframing, right? Neither one of us said, hey, we want to go uh, butterfly watching with this knife. Well, let's clarify what, what, what you said. Uh, you're, you're doing gold here. And what you just said is really important. Let me make sure I understand it. You're describing inframing as this moment where humans react to not just it, in framing in your in framing in your description is the kind of requires the human response right it or, does because, and not only not only that the human recognize the human hears the call of the technology in order to activate it right if if the human hears the call of technology so for example it would be uh-huh. pretty simple to imagine i don't know i don't know i, I uh, a record player okay okay so that's a technology if i hear a record player what do i want to do i want to put a record on it but I could put that in front of uh, somebody at this point who has no idea what a record player is. If they don't recognize the technology as right. a technology, they're likely to say, I'm going to use this thing to prop a door open. 
So I think that there's a certain awareness of the intentionality uh, behind the technologies in order to gauge how the inframing will take, how, you know, how, how that will take shape. Can we say, this is, this is a really great example. And, uh, um, and one of the reasons I think it's a great example is that I'm puzzled and don't know what to say, but let's work with the, uh, let's work with the phonograph here. And mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't have a predetermined thing to say about it. It's a great example. Let, let's talk about your specific example of the person who is unaware of what a phonograph is and is confronted with it. Mm -hmm. Would you say further that, that the revealing doesn't take place? I guess an inframing took place, but the revealing never took place. Would oh no. That be how you would- uh, I, No, no, I don't, I don't think that's what I'm trying to say. Uh -huh. The inframing takes place, but the inframing defaults to a known technology, right? So this person may not understand the designer's intention behind the record player. Mm -hmm. But they understand well that if you stick a heavy object in front of a door, that technology will keep the door open. And mm -hmm. so in that case, and I don't know if I'm applying Heidegger appropriately here. I mean, I'm going to fully acknowledge that this is um, maybe not, not quite right. But would we say then that the revealing is, so you might argue, okay, uh, you know, the person who recognizes the record player is going to play a record. And what does that tell us about that person? Well, that tells us that they're familiar with this technology, that they understand this technology. Um, and then we might even make the argument that, you know, how, what they play, how they play, uh, it could potentially reveal something about them mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. um, the person who doesn't know how to, doesn't recognize the record player as such. And There's props, no revealing. There's no Alethea. No, there is. The, the, the revealing there, we, we've revealed ignorance of this technology. We've, we've, we've you know, because again, to, to me, it's the truth. Well, what is the truth in that moment? The truth in that moment Who's is that perceiving, I, I guess, where, I, where I, it, this is where I'm having problems with that. Isn't the revelation only happening in the person who knows the technology and therefore can say that person is ignorant because they don't know the technology? Well, see, now that's the but question. A, that's yeah. the question right there in terms of like, well, subject object, who's, who's yeah. where in the grammar of the situation, yeah. right? So if you and I are watching this, we say, wow, that person doesn't understand what that is. That's a revealing. They have said that this, this moment, this interaction with technology has revealed something about that person. Um, and I think maybe this speaks to our own ignorance, to be quite honest with you, because if I don't recognize it and I prop a door open, you know, I have, uh, this is revealed uh, what? Uh, I, I've, I've, I've propped, I wanted the door open. Well, I think, I think Heidegger would answer that that I think Heidegger would say that what's revealed is that you've understood, I'm thinking about his example, the example that Heidegger uses in the essay about the house. Mm -hmm. So the house, how is the house revealing? I take that to mean beyond its function, Heidegger says, well, the house is revealing. And it strikes me that the house is revealing of the potential of wood or whatever the materials of the building are. Um, it's revealing a potentiality within materials in relation to space, the space of the earth. And that, that you can say, ah, that my understanding of the house example is that Heidegger is saying, 
what's re revealing connected here? Well, once you see a house, you realize that it's possible to utilize space on the earth with materials in a way that perhaps you never, never comprehended before. So with your example of the doorstop, you realize there is a potential to create a new situation with matter with your doorstop. And you know, Michael, when you were talking about the photograph this time, I wondered whether or not revelation of ignorance could be a huge revelation. And in fact, we know it is the case, right? Like when people, people's first encounter with technology, they go like, what the fuck is going on? I don't know what this is happening. So that's a revelation of ignorance and a revelation of ignorance and revelate and experience a novelty that's like one of the highest forms of knowledge so oh, yes. that could be a way in which revelation works when the person is ignorant of the technology the technological and framing mm -hmm. shall we jump to point three we could jump to yes yeah let's jump to point three which is basically an extension of point two the how would Heider's example is the house. Heider's example is also what happens with the Rhine River and the Industrial Revolution when it becomes used for other purposes for landscaping and managing and controlling the environment, et cetera. Well, but of course, he doesn't talk about digital culture. And the payoffs, Heidegger says the payoff of thinking about technology in the way that he's thinking is if you admit his major claim that technology has an essence and it doesn't matter how it unfolds or develops or evolves over history, that essence is the same. And the situation of revealing and inframing always occurs. Then theoretically, in fact, it's the test for Heidegger. What we're about to do right now is the test for Heidegger that if we don't see in framing and revealing in digital media, then his concepts fall apart. So, so we're, we're, this is really kind of the ultimate test. Yeah, and I think before we can answer this, we have to backtrack a little bit because as much as technology is an in framing and a revealing, Heidegger also argues that it's a challenging. Yes. And that indeed. challenge is in the, as I understand him, that challenge is basically that technology equips man to dominate nature, right? That is his, absolutely. That, right. that is, that is the tension that he is, is dealing with and in, in right. creating and in dominating nature, uh, right. we create the standing reserve, right? So that we harness nature. And we become the standing reserve. And that's where I think this question becomes very interesting in terms of not so much what it just does to nature, but what and how it acts on us. And so what is the essence of the internet? Well, I mean, that's a big question that I, I'm not, I, I couldn't even begin to try and figure out how to answer it. But the challenging to me about the internet is how this digital space 
engages or resists or overlaps, whatever the case may be, with the natural spaces. Because we think of our lived lives, our lived experiences in some sort of natural environment, right? Like you go outside, you go, you walk to the store, you go wherever you go, you go out into nature. And the, the internet really creates this alternate space where we go in, right? I mean, like, I, I don't know where if we go physically, we stay in a chair perhaps, but it is a unnatural space. And virtual space, I virtual mean, you're, you're referring you know, to virtual uh, space and simulation. Sometimes, right? sometimes it's the most obvious words <laughs> that are hard to get to. Thank you. Um, yes, they're virtual, but the virtual by its very, by its very nature is not natural. <laughs> right. right? I, 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 you know, words are hard. Okay. But <laughs> words are, are hard for are. me today. And so um, I, I think that that's an interesting thing to look at here because, you know, in terms of, uh, it's, it's capacity to inframe or it's capacity to challenge or it's capacity to reveal, um, digital spaces are, mm -hmm. you know, by their very existence, mm. contra to nature. And, and, and despite the fact that they can show us nature, that they can teach us about nature, we can expose ourselves, you know, we can be exposed to nature. Let's not expose ourselves. Um, but we can be exposed to nature while still being very unnatural. So there's an interesting contradiction here. And I was wondering, and I'm curious as to your thoughts, and I don't know whether this plays into your understanding of this or not, but we think about Aletheia and technology revealing some sort of truth. Mm -hmm. When we apply this to a digital context, I wonder if this idea becomes now a purely abstract philosophical thing. Or does technology now simply reveal other technologies? Because in a digital world, there is no natural. So if for Heidegger, the idea, you know, the, the essence of the, the, the resistance to technology, right, is, is, is this sort of this, this natural space if we apply this to a place that is by its very nature digital and, and therefore not natural, not a, not a natural space, does that become a purely philosophical academic pursuit or does it, is there value in technologies revealing technologies? That, that's a great question. I'm going to try to answer it. Um, I'm going to try to answer it by taking a slightly sideways position, but I think it's an, I still, I think I'm still answering. I think Heidegger, I, I don't know a Heidegger specific answer to your question, but it does seem that as long as there is the question of the human subject, i.e. the human subject is weighing in on, 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 on your question, as long as there's the human subject, then we have that essential, essential, literally essential character of technology manifests. And we're still in the same cosmos that we were before. Because the important thing, I mean, you're absolutely right that the technological nature binary is really being questioned. 
here, or there's a lot of pressure on that. I think Heidegger would say, as long as you have that human element able to meditate on the problem, then it's not abstract. I think in the sense of the word you are using it is not really pertinent or somehow irrelevant. I think he would still say, well, as long as you have the human meditation, the ability to meditate, to reflect on the revealing, then you're still within the continuum that has always been there with the inventions of technology emergencies, technological emergencies. Is that sort of an answer? I think so. I, I, I was expecting you to put that slightly differently, but I think it's the same place. Are you basically saying that the human presence is nature? I mean, is, is that? It, yes. Okay. That. Then yet, then I'm, I'm totally on board with you. I think that makes it, sense. You know, the only reason why, uh, but you know, the only reason why I, I wouldn't put it that way, and maybe I'm wrong not to put it that way, is it does seem to me, in my reading of the essay this time, that even though the boundaries between the human and the natural are all, that's very artificial boundary, and the difference between the human and the technological, that's also can be with the example of the hammer, mm -hmm. um, that can also be a very artificial boundary. He does seem to want to keep, he doesn't seem to want to get rid of these words or eliminate these words. He still uses the word nature. He mm -hmm. still uses the word human. And so the only thing that makes me, because I, I mean, I agree exactly that that's the point I was trying to make that the human human is is still there in in that relate in that way we still have nature right but but heidegger is uh, he seems kind of intent on keeping these three things and still insisting that they have their own character their own discrete nature yeah i, think. I know i i agree and that's where this gets complicated for me is that i'm wondering if you know he ends his essay basically saying look i we have to watch technology. We have to be mm -hmm. attentive to what's happening. He's not, uh, you know, a technological Luddite. He's just saying you need to attend to what this is. And I, you think about where technologies, digital technologies specifically are going, you know, with uh, advances in artificial intelligence, the, the, you know, there's now it's like we're trying to upload our consciousness uh, I, I, I had seen something um, today. They were talking about um, the, the potential for lab grown brains to become conscious. Um, you know, this, this, this whole sort of technological, it's what he warns about really the technological dominance of the nature uh, of the natural, excuse me. And um, so I wonder if in terms of what, the internet is doing and how we have to watch it. You know, the, I, I think that the initial response to that is often, well, we have to be careful about how we are using these technologies, right? Are they being used to surveil? Are they being used to manipulate? Um, are they, are they being used to our, you know, developmental benefits or, or, or demise? But I think there's another question that mm -hmm. involves sort of this alternate consciousness, which really complicates what he's doing. 
Uh, can I give you my takeaway in the form of a comment question? Absolutely. For the day? Absolutely. It's along the, uh, the subject. I, I've been lingering through, you know, one of, in considering this third topic, like what's, how does the internet fit in all this? I came up with an example of revealing. Here's my major takeaway. And like I said, my takeaway, I don't want to take your takeaway away from you, but I, I, I think this is kind of my final thought on it. And this is my final thought. And I'm really interested in what you, you think of this final concluding thought. So I started thinking about the internet and the revealing that Heidegger talks about. And here was the example that came to my mind. And I'm curious whether you think it's viable. I was thinking about like documentaries, like The Social Dilemma, or just what we have noticed as bystander participants in internet culture in the last two, three years, arguably longer, but certainly in the post-Trump era in America, but probably, probably there are different political circumstances that make the post-Trump era kind of widespread through a a large part of the globe. So does, is, we have noticed that anonymity, the anonymity of the internet that kind of runs rampant in things like 4chan or even in Reddit, we notice that the anonymity, well, all you have to do is go on Twitter and you will see that most people write, conduct politics, respond to events, respond to politics in an ironic, either an ironic way or a moralizing way. Um, and that, I mean, in a sense, Twitter and even whole websites are dedicated to what I heard someone describe, uh, um, uh, Michael Miller said this, and it's a wonderful description he described Sorry to all our listeners who look at Wonkette, but he called Wonkette high bourgeois snark. So there's a kind of ironic discourse, or ironic pose uh, that seems to be the default idiom for some websites and some platforms. And with Reddit and 4chan, we have the, you know, we have found that commentary and communication tends to be really highly aggressive, competitive, mean-spirited trolling, right? We, we came up with a new term for it in certain online platforms. So my, my takeaway and my question for you, Michael, is would this count as a revealing? This observation. And then I guess my other question, which maybe we don't have time to talk about, would be if that's the revealing, what do we do with revealing? Maybe, maybe the revealing is tied to what you just said because it sounded like your comment, your last comment, you were, you were tying re the revealing to the need for an ethical comportment or an ethical awareness in the internet. So maybe that's where I'm coming from with, with my takeaway. I'll shut up, but. Yeah, I, I, I think it is both an, I think it's a, a good example of both an inframing and a revealing. You know, that, that these 
technologies, these platforms, based on their configurations, right, their their capacities to 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 create an end, right, their means to an end, but the way that they are constructed, encourage uh, certain behaviors. These behaviors, I think, become a de facto standing reserved as a uh, again a compelling logic or voice for the enactment or you know disbandment of certain things um right so this is the, well, i mean what public opinion is basically what i'm calling it right um and that this is by its very nature a revealing what is it that we see i mean what what is made clear what is the you know, I, don't, I don't know if this is the right word for it but what is the truth what is revealed what is you know I, I i think absolutely you know i was thinking as you were talking uh about what my takeaway from looking at Heidegger uh, in this way is, and I come back, I have, I have a kind of a tidy one. I, I think about his distinction between uh, older technologies and modern technologies and the older technologies being handicraft and the modern technologies being modern by their nature, uh, by the complexity of their nature and their interconnectedness. Interconnectedness, which instrumentalizes it resources. does turns and, nature into resources and i think that exactly and i think that the nature or excuse me the degree to which something can inframe and therefore and the, you know, and thereby the nature of what is revealed i think is is the totality of that is connected inexorably to the level of the connectedness how connected is something and i think that the big evolution here technologically is absolutely in how connected things are you know i mean just as we've been talking my phone buzzed my watch buzzed because my <laughs> phone buzzed and a little thing plurped you know bob bopped up on the computer letting me know that both my watch and my alert. phone alert. were connecting and it is probably in the process of doing all this set my coffee maker off somehow you know everything is increasingly pulling towards this center everything is now becoming it, it, things that were so wildly disconnected are now increasingly connected and speaking to each other. And so I think that if we look at how Heidegger concludes and says, you know, it is our job to be stewards, we have to watch what is happening. Um, I wonder if maybe we, we may have missed our moment. And now, you know, this mm. is uh, kind, kind of a scarier place than it needs to be. Or maybe that's no, not right. Maybe a scarier Ooh, yeah. place, a scarier place than we would like it to be, because we, every, we every, weren't stewards. We, we weren't stewards at the crucial moment for the emergence of these technologies. And I think the more complex Digital they become, and I, I think the more complex they become, the harder it is to understand or to see what that end is. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my takeaways. Um, you know, on this beautiful Thursday afternoon, my takeaway is we could be screwed. Um, well, I, I did want to under, can I underscore this takeaway? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll try to keep it brief because the, the, uh, the thrust of uh, my commentary on Heidegger, and I think your, your commentary for most of the episode was we were trying to harmonize. I was very consciously trying to harmonize what Heidegger is doing and saying that, it, you know, it's relevant to the present moment. But what you just brought up was, is perhaps cause for a, a strong critique of Heidegger. 
because it seems like you're pointing toward a kind of a radical rupture in our in our current moment in, in literally in the moment that we now have well michael uh this has been i was uh i was tremulous going into this but i feel the fear has left my bones in relation to heidegger appreciate that it was a great time talking to you as always Absolutely, Barry. Thank you. And uh, again, I feel like we've we've come face to face with the man and live to walk away. So thank you. <laughs> have, have a good one. Have a good one. Hey there. One more thing real quick. If you have questions or comments about what we've talked about, go ahead and drop us an email from our website at www.criticalmediastudiespodcast.com. Or you can visit us on Facebook or Instagram at Critical Media Studies Pod. Thanks.